Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. It is 25 minutes to 10 o'clock. Thank you so much for staying with us. The Naked Scientist will be here in less than a week. Next week, Thursday, in front of a live studio audience, the Naked Scientist not only answers your questions, but demonstrates. He always has something up his sleeve, some uh, very interesting experiments. And uh, we look forward to that. And the Naked Scientist is brought to you by The Rand Show. It's showtime. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Have you packed your bag yet? No, this is a problem. I'm going to have to... Get, get cracking on this because I haven't started packing. I haven't, st- I haven't done anything yet. I'm so behind. Terrible. <laughs> no, I'm no, disorganised. No. No, I'm really it. looking forward to it. It's oh. going to be fantastic. Yes, we can't stop talking about it. That's next week, Thursday. Um, all right, Chris, let's start here. We haven't spoken about Ebola in a while. And the last report I saw in today's newspapers, actually, I can't remember which one, was talking about how uh, uh, the, the rate of infection is, uh, is dropping. I see there's something new, alternative Ebola vaccine. Yeah, that's right. So the numbers are looking a lot more encouraging they're not zero, we're still getting cases, but certainly not on the scale of what was happening as it escalated in 2014. But the threat remains. And in fact, not just in those countries, those three countries where most of the activity was centred, but there are actually potentially 22 countries across the African continent that could host the next Ebola World Cup, if you know what I mean. And so scientists are trying to come up with what will be the mainstay of protection against Ebola, and that's a good quality vaccine. And so far, three candidates have been fast-tracked. One of them is based on DNA. You inject little bits of DNA into somebody, and it shows the body how to make some of the surface coat of Ebola. The problem with that is that in order to get a good immune response that will protect you, you need to do this multiple times. There's another virus which is called vesicular stomatitis virus, and this is being used as a sort of carrier. They've put into this uh, weakened virus some of the genes from Ebola to, to, again, show the immune system what Ebola looks like. But mm-hmm. with a live virus, there's always a risk that it could do what's called revert and become nasty again. And then there's a chimpanzee cold virus that's been used. But this one, you need to give very high doses mm. uh, because it too is trying to show the body what Ebola looks like. So there are constraints with all of these viruses that are being tested as vaccines at the moment. Which is why this paper, which has just come out in science by Andrea Marzi, and uses a different strategy, looks very promising. What they've done is to take the Ebola virus and they have deleted from it a gene called VP30. And this is absolutely critical for the virus to run or operate. Mm. It's a bit like taking the distributor cap out of the engine of a car. The engine just won't run without it. It's a tiny component, but absolutely critical. And if you remove it from the virus, you get a virus that just can't grow, Mm. but can initially infect cells and therefore show the body what the virus looks like and what it's capable of doing, which gives the immune system a heads up on what this virus is about. This begs the question, well, if you are going to take this essential component away, how can you grow the virus? And so what this group have managed to do at NIH in in America is they've made human cells which carry this VP30 gene in them. Mm. So they make the gene product. So when you infect them with Ebola that lacks this gene, the Ebola doesn't realise it misses the gene because it sees it in the cell 
and thinks, ah, I'm fine, and just incorporates it, uses it and grows, but then as soon as you put it into a normal person who sells don't have this gene, then it's completely disabled. And as an extra fail-safe, they also blast the virus to pieces after they've grown it with hydrogen peroxide, bleach, essentially, and this makes sure that there's no infectivity left behind, but there's all the immunogenicity. And when they test this in monkeys, they give them a single dose of this hydrogen peroxide disabled genetically deficient Ebola, they actually get a protection, full mm -hmm. protection against injection with what would otherwise be a lethal dose of Ebola given a month later. So this is really encouraging because you've got something which is safe, something which can be grown to very high levels and scaled up very quickly, but which also with one single shot appears to give protective immunity and that's what we need. Well, then that's a step in the right direction. Uh, let's go to Nick. Nick, Nick, you're calling us from Bedford View. Thanks for holding on. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, hi, Chris. Hi, Rudy. Um, I just have a question with regards to ASMR, which is Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Um, basically, it's the feeling you get when uh, someone whispers in your ear and you get like goosebumps uh, that I think starts in your, uh, on your scalp and your head and then runs down your spine. Uh, it's like a very relaxing feeling. I just want to know what causes that. Do you know, I'm, I'm quite thinking I might like someone to demonstrate <laughs> this on me. <laughs> uh, sure. Because I, I, I don't think I've had that sensation necessarily, or certainly not recently. Have you, Reedy? Have you had this? Mm -mm, no. No, that makes two of us. I don't feel so bad now. I was thinking maybe I'm a bit of a bit of a weirdo, but uh, well, all I can maybe think I'm the is that, <laughs> oh, it's it's a possibility. But all I can think is that basically um, that that sensation, excuse me, <clears throat> that sensation of of goose pimples. What is happening there is that on the surface of your body are fine hairs, and underneath each tiny hair on your body are tiny muscles called pilo, pilus meaning a hair, erector meaning stand up, piloerector muscles. They're wired up to your sympathetic nervous system. And your sympathetic nervous system is part of your autonomic nervous system, which as the name suggests, works autonomously. And it works in response to perceived threat or to perceived sort of stimulus, which is of a relaxing type. And when we get worried or scared about something or mm. aroused by something, and I mean as in your attention is aroused, mm. <laughs> then what actually happens is that you send signals down your sympathetic nervous system and it activates those piloerector muscles, making the hairs stand up. And this is why when you see an animal out in the wild and it gets frightened, its hair stands on end. And people talk about when you have a galvanizing or scary ex experiment, uh, experience, it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. And it's actually quite true. And the little bulges that are the goose pimples are these piloerector muscles contracting to make the hair stand up. Animals do it because when they're scared, if they push their hairs outwards, they make themselves look bigger. And if you look bigger, you look scarier. And so this means an adversary is more likely to back off mm. rather than to attack you. Now, we're very, very similar to animals, except that we've become devoid of the majority of our body and we obviously don't use this so much as a means of defence and also as a means of communication now, but nonetheless the physiological response still remains. And what you're experiencing, Darren, is the, is the autonomic response erecting those muscles in those tiny hairs all over the surface of your body, and that's what the goosebumps are, and that sensation, that prickling sensation, is the hairs pinging upwards. Thank you so much, Nick. And no, you're not weird. I'm sure in the next few minutes we'll get a few more people just uh, confirming that they've experienced that. Uh, shall we go to uh, George in Acadia? Good morning. Uh, good morning, Reedy. Uh, Dr. Chris. Mm -hmm. My question is, if a person is sitting on an open paved walkway 
approximately two meters wide, under a similar concrete cover, and a bolt of lightning strikes very close to where these people are sitting. Would, would it cause any injury to, to these people? Uh, well, it's quite possible it would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's quite possible it would. Um, the, the one protection against lightning is to be in what's called a Faraday cage, named after Michael Faraday. And a Faraday cage is where you have an electrical conductor, which doesn't have to be a continuous piece of, of metal, it can literally be a cage, which forms a complete square or sphere around the area or volume encased within it. And in that situation, you can fire a lightning bolt directly at that cage with a person sitting inside and they will be fine because the electrical field that's generated means that the electricity runs all around the cage but not actually through the inside of the cage and so there's no potential difference uh, uh, applied across the person inside the cage and therefore they're absolutely fine. A person who's standing on the ground and you sometimes see people and animals who become victim of this, if a lightning bolt lands nearby, because the lightning hits the ground and raises the potential, the amount of electricity, if you like, in that point of the ground, the electricity is at high concentration where the lightning hits and then ebbs and flows away across the ground. This means that if a person is standing with their legs with one leg closer to where the lightning point hit the ground and the other leg further away, there is a potential difference between one of their legs and the other. And they're probably, being a big bag of salty water, not a bad conductor for the energy. So lightning will go up one leg through the person's body and down the other leg. And you sometimes see animals dead in fields for this very reason. Mm. So people who are therefore perched in an area where lightning hits may be subject to a big electric field. They'd certainly be subject to a lot of sound, which might be terrifying in and of itself. And lightning heats the air to a very high temperature, so you can get very severely burned by lightning. And the current flowing through you, if it does a side flash, because sometimes as the lightning comes down, it effectively sees, in inverted commas, the good conductor that your body is being a big bag of salty water. And sometimes you get a side strike where the lightning jumps off of one path, goes sideways, and then down another route. So it's possible that these people could become alternative human lightning conductors at the same time, which would have devastating effects for them. Okay, thank you very much, George. Ellen, Jenny, and Barris, I see your calls coming to you in a moment. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. And yes, we are satisfying our curiosity about uh, the world in which we live, our bodies, uh, all of that. Do give us a call on 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. Chris Smith, our naked scientist, is here and he will literally be here in Johannesburg, of course, uh, with demonstrations and a show at, at the Rand Easter show, uh, but this time around giving us a treat next week, Thursday. And you can book, there's still some places available, yes, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. You can book by going on to... Um, uh, our website www.702.co.zn Cape Town I'm sorry I know you always feel left out at a time like this but maybe one day uh, there'll be an opportunity for that let's go to Alan in Norwood hi uh, good morning everybody first mm. uh, I wanted to know the, in 1970s I think it was the Americans launched an unmanned spaceship into uh, space never to return um the last I heard was that it was 17 billion miles away from Earth and has entered an interstellar atmosphere. Yes. Um, does that make any sense? Yeah, hello. Uh, the answer okay. is that, that they did, and the, the probe you're thinking of is Voyager. 
And yes, it has, I think it's left our, our, st- our solar system about three times now because we keep seeing updates and more reports mm-hmm. of, of what this probe is seeing and the environment it's in. Amazingly, given that it's been out there in space for decades, this probe is still working and it's still sending back data. And although the data is taking more than a day to reach at the speed of light, us from out there where it's got to, some of the instruments still work. It's got a nuclear power source on board, which is keeping some of the instruments going, and it's still collecting data. And this is an amazing achievement, really, for something that was built using technology that long ago. But what the measurements it's picking up show is that as it reaches the outer boundary of our solar system, it reaches an area called the heliopause. What that is, is that there is a zone around our solar system which is effectively created, a perimeter created by the influence of our star, the sun, and this fends off or pushes back radiation and other cosmic particles that are trying to come into our system from elsewhere in space. And Voyager can see these disturbances on the instruments it has on board as it goes along. And so it's able to to see the effect of our own sun dropping off and the arrival of these new particles coming inwards towards our solar system on their way towards us from outer space. And so it knows it's, it's effectively at the boundary between our solar system and just interstellar space, the space that separates our system, where our sun is, from another system where there'll be another star with perhaps a clutch of planets between it it'll be a long journey though it's going to be millions of years before it gets anywhere uh before in other words it gets to another star so it's a long long way um, and the instruments won't be working for very much longer we don't think so therefore i think probably it's done about the most work it's going to because now it's a pretty cold dark empty place it's going to be passing through um, until it uh, in a few thousand or a few million years gets to the next star Thanks very much, Ellen. And uh, Jenny in Walkerville. Whoa, I can't wait to hear this answer. Good morning. Welcome. Hi. Morning. Really morning, Chris. I'm just wanting to find out what actually causes yawning. I think you've had this question before. Yeah. Um, but I would like to find out what, what causes yawning, especially in a car. <laughs> Uh, yawning in the car, pro- probably listening That's to scary. the wrong radio station. You <laughs> should tune into Talk Radio 702 and 567. Oh no, we've lost you. We've lost you, Chris. Um, are you still with us? No, clearly not. Okay, we'll see if we can get uh, some connection there. Yeah, we've had this question before, uh, uh, Jenny, and I remember us speaking about how, um, in fact, one person had asked if yawning is contagious. Why is it that when somebody next to you or in front of you yawns, uh, everybody else then uh, starts yawning? So we are going to talk about uh, that in just a few minutes. I think uh, we've sorted out the line. Chris, good morning. Yeah, I yeah we're um, fine. Hey, okay. Yeah, I was just saying that um, the reason that people have advanced or the theories that people have advanced for yawning is that uh, when we, and we know that animals do this too, and when you see one person do it, other people do it, and one theory is that this is a wake-up call. There was a very nice piece of research done in New York, and what they did was to recruit students. They didn't tell them why they were being recruited into the study. They just said, we want you to watch some some movies. And in these movies were pictures and sequences of other people yawning. And the researchers were secretly counting how many times the students watching the movies yawned themselves. And they found that on average, there was about a 50% yawn rate. So you watch someone yawning on the screen, there's about a 50% chance you're going to yawn. They then repeated the experiment and they said to the students randomly either, hold this cold compress onto your forehead and watch some movies, 
or we want you to keep your mouth open and breathe through your mouth all the way through this film sequence. The mouth breathers, when they did this, the yawning rate went to about 100%. The cold compress on their forehead watchers, their yawn rate fell to zero. So what this tells you is that when you cool down your brain, cool down your head a bit, then yawning is abolished. When you breathe through your mouth and allow your brain temperature to rise because you're not breathing cold air up your nose and cooling your head down, then yawning frequency increases. And when you get sleep deprived and very tired, your brain temperature does increase. So the theory goes that one of the reasons we yawn is to cool down the brain to stave off tiredness and therefore increase alertness. Mm. And one theory for why yawning may be infectious is that if you're out there camped out in the middle of nowhere, wild animals around, danger might be coming, one person yawns. So this is a sign that perhaps they're getting tired, and if they're getting tired, perhaps you're getting tired. So if everyone yawns, everyone's brain temperature falls a little bit, and everyone increases their level of alertness and arousal, so you're more likely to notice danger. Mm -hmm. And it's true, I find after yawning I feel more refreshed and less tired, so I'm glad for the last part of that uh, explanation there's a purpose to all of this. Thomas, just put your hand in front of your mouth, that's all I ask. Let's go to Barris in Bloberg Strand. Good morning. Thank you both. Um, just a question, most of us, I'm sure we've experienced when we've driven a foreign car uh, um, with a clutch, that we struggle to get the feeling of the clutch, yet after a while, that's the natural why, what does your mind do to correct that or make it a new normal? So your mind adapting to a new car with different mechanics. The line was just bad, but I'm sure you got that, Chris. Yes, indeed. Um, we, all, we all feel like we're in the wrong car when we get into someone else's car, even if it's your wife or husband's car that you drive now and then. It feels different to your own car. And this is because you have in your brain a system to control automatically and compensate automatically for the movements that you make. It's called your cerebellum. Cerebellum is, is Latin for small brain. And if you've ever seen a picture of a, a human brain, it's the fist-sized lump at the back underneath the brain. And it's got almost as many nerve cells in that little bit of brain as the entire brain itself has got in it. It's very, very densely packed. And this cerebellum has circuits in it that make movements automatic. And so when you learn to do something, and you learn to do something automatically, whether that's writing, whether it's playing tennis, playing golf, typing on a computer, those movements which you don't even have to think about, but you're very stereotypical, you know that when you write the letter A, you make a nice sweep with your wrist and then a tail on the letter A. That's something that you've learned by practice, and now you don't even have to think about writing a letter A, it just happens. You don't have to think about typing your name on a computer keyboard. That sequence of motor events is programmed there. The cerebellum does that for you. And when you drive a car, what you're doing is executing a very, very precise sequence of motor movements to put your foot down on the clutch, reach with your left hand if you're, if you're driving in, in a country that drives on the, the, the same side of the road that we do, uh, put the car in gear, pull away, let the clutch up slowly while simultaneously pushing down on the accelerator to make sure that you've got enough uh, power there. Those are all motor movements and your cerebellum is doing that. Now, when you get into a different car, the brain is continuously comparing what is happening when you do these things with what it thought was going to happen. And if there is a disparity between what it expected to happen and what actually happened, this sends a very powerful signal to the cerebellum and says something went wrong and the cerebellum retunes itself or adjusts the motor programming so that it strengthens the connections in the cerebellum between some nerve cells and weakens others. And it does it very, very quickly, within seconds to minutes. And this reprogramming 
programmes the way that the movements are adapted or executed so that slowly over a course of doing it for a few minutes to an hour or so you don't even notice that you've completely reprogrammed your movements. Hmm. Thank you Barris, thank you and Chris have a lovely weekend next time I speak to you you'll be in Joburg we look forward to that, thanks indeed. Yeah I hope someone's actually going to let me in because every time I turn up at 7.02 they won't believe I'm, I'm here to see you guys and they won't let me in. Uh, maybe you don't look like the naked scientist, maybe they're expecting something <laughs> I'll else. I'll turn up naked, I'll turn my clothes <laughs> off in reception. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do attention. that, don't do that we'll sort that out today, Gee. <laughs> okay then, see you next week. Thanks, Bye-bye, thanks, everyone. Chris. Can you imagine? Oh, geez, the guys at reception—they like like the. Okay, I don't want to use an inappropriate word, but you swear you are in the military. Eh? If what happens in the military is what I imagine happens, and uh, they're very, very strict. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. But he's the naked scientist, and he's harmless. Maybe his experiments aren't, but he's harmless.